This sermon, From an Ox Go to a Cross, was preached by Derek Overstreet on Sunday, January 7th, 2024, at Sovereign Grace Church. Good morning, church. If you're visiting with us, good morning. Glad that you are here. We are jumping back into, after a season off for Christmas, we are jumping back into our series in the book of Judges. So would you open up your Bibles to Judges 3? You remember, uh, we left off with Ehud who had delivered, who delivered the God's people from the hands of the Moabites. And this morning, well, this morning we look at, we go from however many verses Tom's text was, 25 verses to just one. One verse. So for those of you who don't like standing, this should be quick and easy. Would you please stand with me? Let's read God's word together. Judges 3, verse 31. After him, that is after Ehud, was Shamgar the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goat. And he also saved Israel. Maybe seated. Let's pray. Lord, one verse. One verse, one man, one instrument, one incident. Lord, would you use it to shape us, to convict us, to encourage us, to strengthen us in our faith, to the praise and glory of the one and only Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We entrust ourselves into your hands as we now engage with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, one of the things that I uh, enjoy doing when our grandkids are over is bedtime stories. When our grandkids spend the night, uh, Dawn actually gets all the hard work, uh, she, she has the task of getting them cleaned up and in the bathtub if need be, brushing their teeth, getting their pajamas on, uh, making sure that they get settled away in their bed, and then I step in, Papa steps in, and I get the fun stuff. When they spend the night, they want a bedtime story from Papa, and so... Um, I give them a bedtime story. Uh, I make them up on the fly. It's all ad lib. Uh, some of our stories are just as crazy as Shamgar's story. <laughs> you never know what you're going to get. But the grandkids love Papa's bedtime stories. They're on the edge of their bed as they listen. Uh, if, 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 I, if there's something they're not quite sure about, they'll interrupt the story. Well, well, who was he? Well, where did they come from? 
Well, well, what happened next? And I'm like, patient, patient. Let me tell the story. They're engaged. They're eager to hear the story. I normally try and help them understand what the story means as well. And that can be hard when you're just making stuff up on the go. But there is a sense of wonder. There is a sense of awe that they listen to the bedtime stories with. And I'll tell you what, here's, one, here's what I cannot get away with. If the story is not long enough, they want more. Oh, that can't be all. If, there's, if the story lacks details, they want more. You see, I could never get away with telling the story of Shamgar to my grandchildren because really, you could tell this story. If you told the story of Shamgar as a bedtime story, it would go like this. There was a man who killed a bunch of people with a stick, the end. My grandkids would not stand for that. They would say, no, Papa, there is more than that to it. And they would be right. They would be right. Shamgar is a man of mystery. As suddenly as he appears in your Bible, he disappears. Every judge in the book of Judges gets at least two verses, some three and four chapters. Shamgar gets one. He is mentioned one other place in the Bible, and we'll see that in a couple weeks. Deborah, he actually mentions him in her song in chapter 5. But everything that we know about Shamgar is right here in this verse. And he is, he is a man of mystery. That's all there is to it. But here's something that we know. No matter how little we, we can learn about Shamgar from this verse, here's what we know. God never wastes words. He never wastes words. 2 Timothy 3.16 is clear. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for us. It makes us competent. It equips us for every good work that he calls us to. And guess what? Judges 3.31 is part of all scripture. And so there is something for us here, even though you may be wondering what possibly is here for us. Regardless of how much ink and paper he gets, Shamgar matters because like Othniel and Ehud and Deborah and Samson and Gideon and the rest of the judges, God called Shamgar, he chose Shamgar, and this is amazing, to be a savior of his people. That's what we see here this morning. In these 22 words, in these 22 words, we will find a treasure trove of truth meant to move our hearts and minds. And here's what I would submit to you is the point this morning for us in terms of application, that we would be moved. And there is no greater desire on the first Sunday of the year that we would be moved to a more profound wonder and awe 
at God and our Savior. I have broken this verse up into three parts. So for those of you taking notes, point one is a mystery setting. Point two, we will look at a mystery identity. And then finally, we'll look at a mystery deliverance or, if you will, a mystery salvation. And then we're going to talk about uh, how we walk away praying and asking the Spirit to change us through this story. But let's look at the first point, a mystery set. I want you to notice how the story begins. Two words, after him. After who? After Ehud. More accurately, after Ehud defeated the Moabites. I make this distinction because, because of the introduction that will be uh, in next, next week's text in chapter 4, verse 1. Notice what it says. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord when? After Ehud died. So Shamgar comes in. Shamgar delivered God's people somewhere between Ehud's victory over the Moabites and his death. Of course, if you come to that conclusion, then you have to, you have to, you have to face the question of, well, what about the 80 years of peace that, that, that Ehud's reign was followed by? What about the 80 years of peace between Ehud in chapter 30, in verse 30, and Deborah in chapter 4, verse 1? Well, it's a mystery. <laughs> but But if you look at the map of Judges, Ehud's victory over the Moabites really was, it was east. It was on the eastern side of Israel. Shamgar's, they believe, was on the coast. And for for, for one reason is because the Philistines were seagoers. The Philistines came over from the Aegean Sea. They came from... from uh, surrounding areas like Crete and modern-day Greece. So they came by boat, and they, they ended up landing and settling on the coast. If they really, the Bible talks about five cities that the Philistines established, and they're all in that coastal area at the northern end and just north of what we know as modern-day, as the modern-day Gaza Strip. So this is where the Philistines came and, and where Shamgar most likely encountered them. And so, so with the Philistines advancing from the coast and the west and, and, and the Moabites from the east, you see what was happening to Israel. Israel was getting pinched. Israel is getting pinched. And so the, the, this, this geography affirms uh, Deborah's song in chapter 5, verse 6, where she indicates that in the time of Shamgar that that. Though there's this 80-year time of peace, there were, there were some tough times for Israel in Shamgar's area. And, and you're, and you're going to see as we get into the judges, they're, they're all over the map of Israel. They, they weren't all in one place. As you're going to see, it's, it's not necessarily com- totally chronological. There might have been something going up here, but also something going down here at the same time. So there's this overlap, if you will, of judges. So sometime, sometime in that 80-year peace period, Shamgar defeats the Philistines who are raiding uh, the Israelite territories coming into the promised land from that coastal side. We'll continue to talk about that kind of situation 
as we go. And and as you know, the Philistines were a terror. (laughs) They were a terror for Israel as they tried to keep control of the promised land. This is not the first time they're going to, this is not the last time they're going to show up. But for now, it's important to note that Shamgar restored Israel's peace and rest that was established with Ehud's victory in the east. Now, that brief, that, that, that brief history and geography lesson is meant to take us somewhere. This, is a, this, is, this obscure text is a clear reminder of the reality, of a reality that is at the core, at the core of Christian faith and hope. Heaven. Heaven. God used Shamgar to keep the peace, to keep his people at rest that we will see next week was broken because the people once again failed to follow the Lord. But heaven, heaven is the place of perfect and unbreakable peace and rest for God's people. Barry Webb says, in Shamgar, we we catch a glimpse of unbroken rest. He prevented the 80-year test, or he prevented the 80-year rest that Ehud won for Israel from being disturbed by a Philistine incursion. And like all the deliverances won by Israel's judges, that is a signpost on the way to something greater, a rest in which there will be no need for emergency action, no need for a shamgar to step in to keep the enemy at bay. That's that's why this is here. All the details were in Ehud. There's this time of rest. Shamgar was, was brought in as a savior but by, 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 in a sense, emergency action to, to keep the enemy at bay. God used Shamgar in an emergency to keep the Philistines at bay, and the fruit and effect was keeping his people at rest. And in this way, in this way, Shamgar, Shamgar points us to Christ, in whom you are entirely out of the reach of Satan's threats of eternal condemnation. Romans 8.1 testifies to this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you skip to verse 33, it goes on. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that. Who was raised? who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Nothing, Christian, can separate you from the rest that you have in Christ Jesus. Is Satan prowling around like a lion right now today? Yes, but ultimately, he has no no power to condemn you eternally. Listen, you you want a good bedtime story this week? Go Go read Zechariah 3. 1 through 10, 
Joshua the high priest standing in the divine courtroom before the throne of God. And Satan is there accusing him. And his accusations are right. Even the high priest wears filthy garments before the throne of God above. Oh, but Christ represented in the pure vestments that he is clothed with so that he stands. No condemnation. Now listen, day in and day out, we, we have to fight to believe that because it sure doesn't feel like it. <laughs> but there is a day coming. There's a day coming when Satan's threats won't even exist. That fight will be over. There will be this unbroken rest for eternity. For God with his people. And this is what makes Christianity so hopeful. This is what makes... We have hope in this life, don't we? Yes! But it's the glory and the majesty and the wonder of the life to come in the presence of God and Christ and his saints that make, that fuels our perseverance in this life. There is a rest that is coming. There is a peace that is on its way. Why? Not because you secured it by your own merit. Not because you were wise enough to figure it out. But because God sent a Savior after him. After Shamgar, one would come. Jesus Christ. And while you might feel the fallenness of the rest you have in Christ today, which, by the way, is not... It's not something deficient in the rest that the gospel brings. It's it's something deficient in our own hearts. And that we look for that rest in other places. But one day, Christian, one day that rest will be unbroken. Never to be hindered by your sin. Never to be hindered by Satan's ways. Never to be hindered by the allurements and the entrapments of the world that we live in. Let, let, let me just ask you this before we move on. What area, not is there an area, but what area right now, this year, do you need to cling to the unbroken rest that is coming and waiting for you in heaven? That's your fight for faith. To believe that Jesus has secured for you. We sung about it this morning. We just read about in Romans. Who is to condemn? Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And what is the reward? The reward is to be with our Lord and Savior forever. And Satan can do nothing about it. Where do you need to apply that truth of heaven to your heart? to your circumstance, to your situation today. So Shamgar, he, he, is, he is a man of mystery. There is mystery in his setting. There is mystery in his identity. Notice verse 31. After him, after Ehud, was Shamgar, the son of Anoth. That's it. 
Notice that... Notice that there's, his story is missing the normal formulaic information familiar to us with other judges. There's nothing here about his hometown. There's nothing here about his, about his tribe. There's nothing that the author doesn't give us anything about, about how long he was a judge or, or, or where he fought. We just know who he fought. There's nothing here about what followed his death like, like we saw with Othniel and Ehud. There's no mention of Israel's rebellion or the Lord's divine anger and holy discipline. None of that is here. All we have is a name. And even that is a mystery. Shamgar is not an Israelite name, by the way. It's, it's, not, it's not a Hebrew name. It's a Gentile name. It's a Gentile name. Perhaps Shamgar was a proselyte. Could be. But Shamgar's a Hittite name. And the Hittites were one of the groups the Israelites failed to drive out. Shamgar should not be alive. <laughs> And because Israel did not obey God in running the Gentiles out of the promised land, he left people like the Hittites as a thorn in their side, as a living lesson of obedience to God. Shamgar should be dead. Or at least somewhere back in the Aegean, Aegean Sea area. So Shamgar's most likely not an Israelite. Now the text does also refer to Shamgar as the son of Anath. Now Anath was a goddess of she was the goddess of war. She was a pagan god. Does this mean that the Shamgar, if he wasn't an Israelite, does this mean that, that, he, was a, that he was a warrior devoted to Anath, just like you're devoted to God and his purposes? Was his mother named Anath? Or maybe he was from Beth Anath, a small Canaanite town roughly 20 miles northwest of the Sea of Galilee. Read all the commentaries you want. Nobody knows. He's a man of mystery. He's, a, he's here and then he's gone. It would seem, it would seem, based on outside sources, that Shamgar is a Gentile who bears the name of a pagan god. He was an outsider. And isn't that interesting? Israel, and we see it over and over again, and next week our text begins with it. We're right to it. The rebellion and the spiritual demise of Israel. Israel is so 
destitute. Don't miss this in the story of Shamgar. Do your homework and discover who he was. But then realize he's an outsider. Israel is so destitute spiritually that she cannot save herself. That there is nobody from within their tribe that can save them. Whatever Israel has going for them, a great economy, military might, you name it, they, they were so given over to idolatry, they were so given over to immorality, they were so given over to their sin that they needed someone outside of them to save them. <laughs> but then again, aren't we all Israel? Scripture is clear on this. Scripture is clear on our condition apart from Christ. There there, there might be much mystery with Shamgar, but there is no mystery on who we are apart from the grace and the mercy of Christ. The Bible is clear in so many places, none more clear than, than Romans 3 and Ephesians 2. That we have neither the will nor the ability. In other words, even if we wanted to, we could not save ourselves. We need someone else outside of us to to save us. You know, the funny thing is that we think we've got this, right? Right? We think we can do anything that we set our minds to. I mean, after all, that's what even good-intentioned Christian parents teach their kids. (laughs) You know what we can't do? We can't save ourselves from the wrath of God that is coming on the account of our sin. We cannot do that. Romans 8, 7 is clear. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Can't do it. Try as hard as you might. Be the most, I'm sorry. I I loathe those green clovered signs hanging on the buildings that say, be kind. We, We need to be kind. But that's a gospel for some. That's a gospel. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Sure, I get it. But that's a gospel for some. We cannot. It doesn't matter how successful you are in the workplace. It it does not matter what kind of upbringing you had. It, It does not matter if you're the wisest in your group of friends. It, it doesn't matter how well you're getting along in this world. There is one thing that you cannot do, and it is that you cannot save yourself. 
That's why the words in Ephesians 2 verse 4 are so precious, but God. But God, who sent a surprise Savior, His only Son, God incarnate. Let that Christmas truth be a daily truth for you. Jesus, Jesus came from a nowhere town. He wasn't nobody growing up. Not even his family believed the stuff he was trying to sell. You read the Gospels, and they're telling the fair, we don't even know what he is talking about. He grew up pounding nails just like everybody else. Messiah stuff, saviors. Yeah, we're not sure what to think of him. He was an unlikely deliverer that God saves his people through. And if you want mystery, that is the mystery of mysteries. That God himself would condescend to you and I taking on flesh, taking the form of a servant, and giving his own life so that we could have eternal life, both in quantity and quality. The only mystery here is why God would choose to save me. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, no matter if your parents have been members of this church for years, you've grown up with it, you're just visiting us, maybe you walked in here and you are agnostic. Maybe you walked in here and you are an atheist. Maybe you walked in here and you're, you're open but cautious about this whole Christianity thing. Maybe you're here and you have life by the tale. Maybe you're here and you're wondering, I don't even want to be here. Let me introduce you to a man named Jesus, an unlikely deliverer who came and did what you could not do. Your sin, whether you know it or not, is so great. It, an infinitely holy God, all it takes is one thought that is inconsistent with his holiness, and it's over. That's why our Savior had to be sinless. You can't do it. In fact, if you were perfect when you walked in this room, you've probably already blown it, especially if you're judging me right now. It's done. It's over. And you know what? We don't know when it will really be over. I was, I was cleaning up some bushes in my, neighbor, in my backyard uh, last night or yesterday, and uh, we have, a, we have a, a neighbors who bump up against the side of our fence so my bushes grow up and obstruct his view of the mountains. So he always brings over some, some cookies and says, hey, can you trim those down about seven inches over there? He's a snowbird from Minnesota. We call him Minnesota Mark. And he always gets here right about New Year's. He hadn't come over yet with the cookies. 
And last night, I'm cutting away. I, I actually saw him. I normally only see him when he comes, but, but we, we have some people in the neighborhood whose her, her, her daughter died unexpectedly. And so we were over there, kind of a little memorial service that they were having for her. And I saw him, and I said, Mark, what are you doing here? He said, I, I came in for this. I said, well, it's good to see you, man. How are things going? We'll see you in January, and my bushes will be trimmed down. And we chuckled. So I'm cutting bushes last night, and I hear this soft voice over the fence. Derek? Oh, hi, Terry. When did you guys get in? Well, well I got in about a week ago. But Mark died. Yeah, I What? I just saw him in October over, yeah, that night he went home from that memorial service and he died in his sleep. I didn't have any idea. Nobody had any idea. You don't have tomorrow nailed down. You don't have the end of this service or the end of this sermon nailed down. But you know what? The moment you die, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews tells us, we are, we are born, we live once, and then we are to be judged for how we live. And if you do not live according to the glory and ways of God, then you will experience an eternity of unfathomable punishment. It's called hell and it's real. There's one way. An unlikely deliverer. Who God sent to save people just like you. Just like you. The only sure thing in life. Two sure things in life. One, you will die. Two, if you are in Christ, you will live forever. In the presence of a glorious God. Don't waste today. Right, Hebrews said, Oh, Israel, as long as today is today, turn to the Lord. Why? Because he knew you don't have tomorrow. He was writing to a bunch of people who had tasted, but they were beginning to turn back and turn away. Listen, maybe you've never tasted. Oh, you need to taste of the wonder and glory of Jesus Christ and the life of him in him that you can have today, but even more the moment you die. We know. We know. Shamgar's identity, there's a mystery. Let there be no ministry on the day of judgment who your identity is with. It must be with Christ. And it can be by simply bowing your heart in humble repentance and faith and saying, Lord, I believe I'm a sinner and I believe I need Jesus as my only Savior. Save me by your mercy. There's one more thing we see here. A mystery deliverance. Notice Let's just read the whole verse now again. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved 
Israel. Listen, if you know anything about the Philistines, you know they were men. (laughs) They were beasts. They were skilled warriors. Remember Goliath. Yeah, these are the same people. They were born to fight. And here is Shamgar. No no idea his upbringing or what he was skilled or trained in. He killed 600 of them with an ox goad. What is an ox goad? An ox goad was not a weapon. It was a farm tool, about eight feet long, about six inches in diameter. On one end, it had this little paddle that that you could use to move dirt from the plow or whatever else you needed to do with it. And then on the other end, it had essentially a nail on it. It was a stick with a nail in it at its most rudimentary form. It wasn't a spear, (laughs) It wasn't sleek, and it, 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 it was awkward and heavy. How in the world did Shamgar kill 600 Philistines? And, and I believe he killed them in one event. Some might argue that he killed them over the period of his lifetime. I don't believe that to be true. Now, the text doesn't tell us. But I believe that he killed them all in one event because I believe that's part of the point in the greatness of God. How did he do this? With a farm tool. I mean, is this guy James Bond? Jason Bourne? Who is this guy? That, 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 is an, that seems to be, to me, an impossible feat, even with a weapon. Give me a... And I probably still couldn't do it. He did it. And with it, with an ox goad, a farm tool, 600 Philistines, he saved Israel. It's a story that, that makes you go, wait, what? It's a story that would make my grandkids go, whoa. Maybe it's a story that you go, come on foolishness. I do think we have to look here and go, well, Shamgard, he was a legend. (laughs) Or is he? You know, God is never mentioned in verse 31, but his invisible hand is here. Flip ahead to chapter 10, verse 11. Here's the clue on how he did it. In fact, this isn't even a clue. This is just laid out for us. Chapter 10, verse 11. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, Did I? Not Shamgar, not Samson, not any of the other judges. Did I not save you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the Ammonites and from the Philistines? God is the hero here. God is the powerful one here. 
God is the wise one here. We don't always understand his wisdom. Shamgar was a Gentile who carried the name of a pagan god, wielding an unconventional weapon to do what Israel could not do for themselves. How? Because he was used by a faithful and all-powerful God to save his people. He was, Shamgar was an unlikely deliverer sent by God to defeat an undefeatable enemy in an unlikely manner. Now listen, you know your Bibles. So as amazing as this story is, you know that, that Shamgar ultimately could not save Israel from the Philistines. Samson had to fight the Philistines. Saul had to fight the Philistines. David had to fight the Philistines. None of these men, as great as they were, could ultimately save Israel from the Philistines. Did you notice at the end? He says, and he also saved Israel. He also. He was just one. The implication of that is none of them were sufficient to ultimately deliver Israel from their enemies. They had to keep bringing the next one up. Why? Because the greatest enemy isn't out there. It's in here. It's in here. It's sin. It is sin. And in the fullness of time, 1,300 years after Shamgar, God would raise up another unlikely deliverer to defeat the undefeatable enemy of sin and death in a most unlikely way. Luke 2.11, let Christmas keep ringing in January, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, full stop. <clears throat> but Jesus came not as a warrior, Savior, but a servant Savior. And this is the gospel. He would give up his life for others. And his weapon, his weapon was even more unconventional than Shamgar's ox goat. Shamgar, he wielded an ox goat. Ehud wielded a homemade dagger. Samson wielded a jawbone. But Christ wielded a cross. That was his weapon. He wielded a cross, a tool not of farming, but of Roman execution. And we may read Shamgar's story and think it's foolishness. One man killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Yeah, that should increase your wonder of God for sure. But the Bible says there's something even more foolish than that. And that is the weapon of a cross. It is the foolishness of all foolishness. That, 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 that a cross where, where God himself, taken on flesh, would hang. Where he would take our sins. They were nailed to the cross as it says in Colossians placed upon a divine and sinless Savior so that 
all who would have faith in him could have total forgiveness of that sin, would have abiding righteousness in Christ, and would have an unbreakable peace with God. This is the mystery of mysteries. Forget Shamgar. Forget Shamgar. It's easier to believe the story about Shamgar than it is about Jesus, isn't it? But God gives us the faith. This mystery of mysteries is unlocked for us by by the Spirit and given to us by divine grace and mercy. We, We go from an ox goad to a cross where we see Jesus who has defeated Satan and the penalty of every one of your sins forever. There is no also connected to Jesus. He was the once for all sacrifice. And he is the one that Shamgar and all the other judges and the monarchy that would follow and the prophets that would come after that and the 400 years of silence all pointed to the servant Savior who wielded a cross to save God's people from their sin. Listen, some may walk away from this text with application that goes something like this. Use the tools God has given you. Shamgar did. Or perhaps, if God used Shamgar, he can use you. Or maybe nothing is impossible with God, so why are you afraid? No, listen, I'm not, I'm not digging on those. There is some truth and a place for questions like that. And perhaps one or all those questions are applicable for you. I encourage you, be sensitive to the Spirit's work in your heart. But let's guard against... Let's guard against moralizing the scriptures to the point that we miss the point. Shamgar's story is meant to infuse our hearts and minds with fresh wonder and awe at our Lord and Savior. That's why he made the book. That's why he's in here. God has done everything to save your life, and he can do anything in accordance with his wisdom to sustain and sanctify you in this life. And we don't have to understand it all. We can't. There is mystery. Mystery is, unvo- is, is unavoidable when you, bring, when you belong to an infinitely wise and powerful God. David Jackman, in his commentary on our passage, says, We are prone to domesticate the awesome power and majestic wonder of God to fit into our little minds and pockets. I love that. What's in your pocket? Ah, the wisdom, God. It all fits right here. Yeah, see? It's all right there. He says, We still want to control the omnipotent to predict the infinite. We feel more comfortable that way, don't we? Because we feel in control. What we do not realize is that this is a quick route to spiritual disaster. Unless we recover a healthy fear and awe of the inscrutable power and sovereignty of God, we shall end up as idolatrous as everyone 
else, including Israel, who in verse 4-1, it will say next week, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. If I have the worship team come up, here are some questions I want us to ask ourselves. As we begin this new year, even though you can't fully fathom it, are you still amazed that God mercifully chose to save you out of millions lost? Even though you don't always see it, do you still wonder at the infinite power of God at work in your life, generously giving you all you need for life and godliness? Even though you can't fully grasp it, does it still leave you in awe that as unfaithful as you are to God every day, including the rest of today, he remains forever faithful to you in Christ Jesus, your Savior. Are you amazed that you get to be here right now, gathered with God's people as one of God's people? Listen, one of, one of your pastor's prayers for 2024, and, and church, we need this, is that we would increasingly have our eyes and hearts opened to the glory of what we do on Sunday morning to the point where we don't want to miss a thing. To the point where nothing gets in the way of gathering with God's people when they gather. That perhaps may be one of the greatest ways that our awe and wonder at our Savior is expressed. If you aren't, and we all need to grow in this area, but but if you're just not even close, well, may I humbly remind you of the words of Mr. Jackman. You are on a quick route to spiritual disaster. Draw near to Jesus even as we sing. He is merciful. In pastor's prayer this morning, Tim prayed that our gathering would be dominated by God. His word, his spirit, his son. As we enter 2024, let our hearts be dominated with awe and wonder and amazement at the God who saved his people with an obscure man and an ox goad, but he has saved us with his son, a cross, and an empty tomb. Let's stand and let's express our awe and wonder now.